on this first weekend in October. I guess it is because that yes. last well. Anyway, yes. Carl, we have a big full weekend. Lots of shows are opening. We'll talk to our first guest, Joe Hanrahan, about St. Louis Woman with the Midnight Company Theater. And then around minute nine, Lar Teeter doing American Idiot at Webster. Around minute 47, we will talk Amsterdam. Around minute 54, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. And then wrapping it up around minute 57 with The Good House. So we're going to talk to one of our favorite guests, Joe Hanrahan, about his latest Midnight Company production called St. Louis Woman. Hey, Joe. Hello. Hello, uh, Lynn. Hello, Carl. Joe, good to see you again. You too. Thank you. So, Laka, Laka, how Laka. do you say that? Laka. Laka, huh? She is going to portray Tina Turner, Josephine Baker, Catherine Dunham, Fontella Bass, and anybody I'm missing? Uh, Maya Angelou. <gasps> oh, oh, wow. Annie Peebles and uh, Willie Mae Ford Smith, the godmother of gospel. All St. Louis women. Isn't that amazing? And underreported. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting about this show. I mean, I, everyone knows these names, but I, I'm not sure uh, most people know much about the history. I, I didn't know enough and uh, researching it really uh, brought me uh, to where I needed to be. Well, Maya, my Barbie doll. I have a Maya Angelou Barbie doll. Ah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Do you anyway. know Maya? Maya is going to be on a um, 25 cent piece this year. That is so awesome. She is yeah. my most, she is the woman I quote the most. And she is the woman I truly learned the most about that I, I knew less about her, 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 Half a dozen, 10 careers she had prior to becoming the writer, we all know. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Fontella Bass, I remember watching her on the Admiral. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. I got I go to back. I got to meet her in the 90s because we on the radio, we did something called Blue Monday. And she came in and sang Rescue Me live on the air. It was great. And even in the 90s, she was still belting it out. That's great. Well, I think people, uh, we in St. Louis have always appreciated Tina Turner, but I think the fact that uh, the musical came out about her and then the documentary on HBO came about, out about her, people appreciate her more. So um, I've seen photo, production photos of your show. So tell us about how Leica is transforming into these women. Leica um, serves as basically our general narrator for this show. We, we start with some general statements and a couple of songs that are not by St. Louis women, but about them. Frankie and Johnny and uh, St. Louis Blues. Those are songs that put put uh, put St. Louis on the map. And then uh, she's, she tells the story of each of these women and costumes herself and sings in the style of them. She portrays two characters. She portrays Josephine Baker, she speaks as Josephine, and then she speaks as Tina. The other women, she tells their stories, uh, she sings, she dances, a bit of the Dunham technique, um, and um, a, a little bit of Josephine's banana dance and other things. And it's a it's a real real tour de force performance. She uh, she she links them all together by uh, she's a St. Louis woman herself. She tells their stories, uh, she praises them, she sings uh, their songs. And uh, and and basically tries to give a rounded portrait of uh, of the qualities that uh, 
kind of drove some of these women and that we uh, we all celebrate. Well, very cool. And well, it's, it's, it's all. Oh, go ahead, Lynn. No, I was just going to say it started last uh, last night, but it's this weekend, right? Yes, we had opening night last night and we have uh, run for three weekends. Uh -huh. OK, go well, ahead. It's, it's interesting to know that some of these women uh, perform in the spork, spoken word and other women do the song and dance. So yeah. it's easy to tell the stories because she's not just it's not just a review because she's telling the stories and she gets to uh, sing and talk about these women, the other women that didn't sing. Yeah, yeah. She talks about um, uh, uh, Catherine uh, Dunham, who came to St. Louis later in her life, but made quite an impact here. And uh, and then Maya, we, we do recite one of Maya's greatest poems, uh, a phenomenal woman. And uh, we, we do say after that, that 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 was Maya's song. Oh, well, Maya uh, is my mantra. Uh, I heard this in t the year 2000 when she was on Oprah. She said, when people tell you, when people uh, tell you, uh, uh, reveal themselves the first time, believe it. <laughs> and that is my mantra. When people reveal themselves the first time, believe it. And that always works. She is a very wise woman. She lived a lot, like you said. She lived a lot of lifetimes to Did come to the, those. Have hard... you heard the story about uh, how where her first book came from? She was at a a party at Jules Pfeiffer's house. Oh, she went along with a friend, and uh, it was a it was a heavy party. Philip Roth was there. A lot of other New York heavy hitters, and she just started talking at the party, and everybody kind of shut up and listened. She was just full of stories. And the next day, Jules Pfeiffer's wife went to his editor and said, there's a woman with a book in her. You better talk to her. And that's where her first book came from. Oh, wow. Isn't it amazing? The people you meet. Yeah. At parties. Yeah. Yes. So Leica, I am unfamiliar with her, but she's been around for many, many years performing in St. Louis and elsewhere, right? Not, not a ton of years, just a couple of few years, really. But she's been pretty uh, widely seen in the St. Louis area. She performs at clubs and at the Blue Strawberry and at private events. Over this past year, she's performed in Las Vegas and New York and Nashville. She's been getting around. But um, the story behind this show, this is her very first stage appearance. She's, her, she's making her debut as a stage actress with a one-woman show. This is the first time she's ever danced uh, to a choreographer's tune. Uh, but it was uh, our, our initial meeting where she expressed uh, interest in the things that I did. And I expressed interest in her talent and her singing. And somehow it came together and we said, let's maybe look at doing something together. And uh, I, I had faith then that she was a very smart, very hardworking person who had a shot at pulling this off. But I underestimate her. She's very, very smart and very, very hardworking. And uh, and she has done a magnificent job in all areas of this and just carries this show, um, uh, you know, on her on her, her tiny back. Now, doing a show like this, you don't want one woman to outshine the rest because they're all women of accomplishment. Yes. How do, how do you keep the balance of making sure that each woman of St. Louis gets their due? For, we tell the story, a pretty solid little 
chunk of a story for all of them that I think it elicits admiration. Fontella Bass and Ann Peebles, we, we don't tell enough of their story. We really don't, but but uh, we include them because they had two, each had a giant song. And that's where we, what we tried to stick to. Of course, we're leaving out hundreds, hundreds of talented women who have performed in the past and are performing today in various fields. But we tried to stick to who we considered the giants women who transcended St. Louis and impacted the world. And even Ann Peebles and Fontella Bass, I mean, what didn't have extensive careers, but their two songs uh, really stood out uh, above uh, most others. And uh, who's who did the choreography? Uh, Ashley Tate. Ashley runs the Ashley Leanne Dance Company, which has performed here for many years. Uh, Ashley got her work in with us just before she accepted a position. Uh, as a professor of dance at uh, University of North Carolina in Charlotte, and uh, she will be uh, 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 she will be visiting us. Actually, she'll be here. She'll be back with us tonight, and uh, uh, and and she did the work for us. Oh. All righty. Well, we are joined by La I'm going to screw your name up, Lara Teeter. You just got it right, Lynn. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Don't awesome, believe awesome. it. And um, and uh, from Webster University, but also the one and only because he is a Tony nominee. And uh, we are talking right now to Joe Hanrahan about his show, St. Louis Woman. If you weren't so busy, you would love. Well, not this weekend, but another weekend. Right, Joe? Of course. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. So there have been some very famous women in St. Louis that this show is going to uh, tell us about. What did when you said, Joe, that uh, you learned the most about Maya Angelou, what do you think people are going to be so surprised about in this show to learn about the women that you mentioned? I hope it's just the um, the, the grouping of them, the, the linking of them, even we take it from about 1920 up to almost today. And the fact that there have been these major artistic uh, forces that have come out of this city for, for many years. Um, you know, I, I think it's somewhat unique to our city in terms of the power and the impact these women had. Um, but but I, I also hope that uh, folks uh, build kind of a, um, an appreciation for, for, for the city itself and our history, uh, because these women um, succeeded uh, sometimes uh, because of, or sometimes in spite of the very, very tough beginnings almost all of them had in town here. And they transcended that and went on to their uh, uh, artistic heights. What do you think it is about St. Louis that, that helped mold these women? <laughs> they all left. Well, <laughs> most of them, yeah. Well, I think if you have to look back on it, I mean, I think you have to recognize the the size and the the the, uh, the the place that St. Louis had in the time. We had a lot of people here, and we had a lot of people who had come here from the South and other areas. And so, uh, and, and of course, we were a, a center of, of of commerce and and uh, uh, lots of uh, social issues and, and racism. And and I think all of that contributed to the character of uh, of these women as they uh, as they grew up here and. Uh, um, and basically, we had, it was a hotbed for not only music, because there's a lot of music that, that began Gaslight here. Gaslight Square. Followed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Club Imperial. That's where uh, 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 Tina, you know, first performed because uh, uh, 
the owner, George, he, he uh, integrated. He was the first guy to integrate the club music. Yeah, we, we edited out a short section we were doing on, a, on the clubs in St. Louis because we were trying hard to feature Billie Holiday, too. Uh, she wasn't from here, but she played here a lot at a place called the uh, Plantation Club, which was up on uh, Del Mar. And it was kind of like our 1940s version of the Cotton Club. White audiences and the best Black musicians of the day. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, that's, that's very fantastic. cool. So how do we find out more information? Uh, you can go to midnightcompany.com for a lot of details. Uh, tickets are for sale uh, at metrotix.com. And it's at the dot Zach. Yes, it is. I will see you Sunday. Okay. Well, uh, good. I guess uh, I can go goodbye. goodbye. Uh, Laura, hello, goodbye. Uh, and don't you have a famous uh, uh, St. Louis woman in your family as well? We do. Yeah. Elizabeth so, yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth is doing Beetlejuice on Broadway right now. Thanks. Right. Yeah, right. Thanks she's she's done other things. I've been following her yeah. career from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. That's Exciting. great. I'm looking forward to seeing the show for sure. Please. Yeah. And if you can reach me, uh, you know, uh, you via my website, let me know. I'll certainly have tickets for you. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Nice. Thanks, to meet you. We only do a bit of dancing, but I hope you'll appreciate it. <laughs> we try not to do lengthy dances. We try to do like a minute of perfect dance. So nice. Thanks. Catherine Dunham. So yeah, yeah. Thanks, Joe. Okay, goodbye. Bye, Bye now. So Larry, yes, now you're Elizabeth's dad. Uh, I know. <laughs> that's the best role I've ever had. Oh. She One of the is, best roles. She is so talented and so delightful uh, as a human. I uh, we interviewed her last year for the Glass Menagerie, yes. of which she won the St. Louis a Theater Circle yeah. Best Supporting Actress yeah. for her role as Laura, which was incredible. But I I witnessed her kindness firsthand to her older co-star. Um, yes, the actress who played Amanda. And I yeah. watched Elizabeth off stage and help her bring her on and help her get off the steps and help her and how kind and generous she was as a performer. And I just think the world of her, because I've seen her since she was flounder on the <laughs> stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's spectacular for sure. And we're, of course, to say that we're proud of her is... Uh, is an understatement. An understatement, but we're proud of all four of our kids. They're they're all they're stars in their own right. You know, Elizabeth is is uh, out there in the social media, and she is you know up on that big uh, the the one of the big stages uh, in the world. And but our other four kids are just as prominent on their own stage, and so we're equally proud of all of them. You have a Charlie, like I have a Charlie, but my Charlie doesn't dance. <laughs> <laughs> So I saw your Charlie in la in the uh, the Muni yeah. the season when we didn't have when they did the super summer special and you danced through the Muni and uh -huh. your son Charlie was part of that. So, yeah, uh, well, actually, Charlie, Charlie can dance, but really, Charlie is our our. Um... Well, the whole Teeter family are athletic in some form or, or another, but he's uh, he's running cross country currently for Johns Hopkins. Oh, wow. And he, um, you know, he's the brainiac. He got the the um, the Kristen Teeter side of the, you know, the genes. So he's got the uh, the brains and loves physics and material science, but he's running for Johns Hopkins right now. And he just had a 
an amazing race uh, last weekend, actually, uh, where he got a PR by 90 seconds on an 8K where he, he skipped 25. His P, a performer PR, uh, PR was 26 something and he skipped that and went right down to 24. So he's really happy with his work and, and his coach is proud of him too. So, yeah. Well, you have another family at Webster University and you have a lot of kids. And I just watched some of the clips because yeah. you are presenting American Idiot this weekend. Uh, the Green Day musical and these kids, oh my goodness, they have so much energy. So how yeah, is that the, experience? Yeah, the the, the passion uh, uh, for this piece uh, is palpable. Uh, for those of you who don't know um, uh, Green Day or aren't familiar with um, the 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 genesis of this musical, which was the concept album that Green Day wrote at a period after they had uh, achieved massive success and were playing stadiums worldwide, their following two albums in the early 90s weren't doing that well. And so ticket sales were kind of waning a little bit and they were kind of at a place in their career. It's like, well, what do we do next? And they didn't feel like, they felt like they were just turning out songs for no reason. And um, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong was struck by, um, the Afghan war and what was going on in the political machine at that time. And he felt helpless and felt like he couldn't doing and do anything. And so the band was at this place where they kind of like went back home to California to a studio there and they really locked themselves away. And they started writing this, these songs that were coming out of personal situations. And it became a concept album that was a rock opera called American Idiot. And uh, Michael Mayer, who is sort of like the genius behind the musical Spring Awakening, was really struck by the album as, by the way, when the album came out, they did not anticipate, they weren't looking for ticket sales, but it just struck a chord in the youth in America. And it they just went through the roof and sold billions and millions of copies. And were once again on the stage selling out. So something about American Idiot struck a chord and it struck the chord of Michael Mayer. And he went to them and said, what if we turned this into a musical? And so the musical uh, focuses on the story of Johnny who is the self-proclaimed Jesus of suburbia and his two friends, Will and Tunney. And so this is a story of rite of passage in a time where um, uh, kids were, are to this day, this is why it's so relevant because this still happens, but kids are from broken homes. They are turning to addiction. There's teenage pregnancy. There are things happening in the political scene that they don't feel connected to, that they don't agree with. And so in the true punk rock way, you know, the whole idea of punk is, um, you know, pushing against the system and, and saying, no, you know, um, one of our more recent leaders talked about the fact that protests are actually good in America, because that's what America is. America is built on protests. And so this movement um, by these rock and roll people who um, the rules in the rock and roll punk clubs were no homophobia, no racism, no sexism, 
You know, those were the rules. You could be who you were in these in these environments and play the songs that you wanted to play. So the story, back to the story, tracks these three young men who go off in diff three different directions. One goes to addiction, one joins the military, one uh, stays home um, because his girlfriend is pregnant. So they all leave and then they come back home in the end. And um, it's, uh, it's the, the, the way the students are connect right from the beginning, right, right from the auditions, even before we started rehearsals, the way the students were connecting to the material was something I never quite witnessed before. Uh, the conservatory is an elite program right here in our very own backyard. It's one of the top 25 training programs for theater, both design, tech, stage management, and for acting, musical theater, and directing, right? Uh, so costume design, lighting design, projections, uh, wig and makeup. And so it's more than just the, what you see on stage in terms of performance. So every student involved in this process was so engaged with the message of this show that as we started staging it, it just sort of came out of the students in a way, uh, I'm repeating myself, but in a way that I've not quite witnessed in all the work I've done in musicals as a performer, and, but also as a director, choreographer, as a teacher. And so um, I, I just feel like I can't, I, I'm not one, I should say this, I'm not one to tell people that they should come see a show that I'm involved with. I've never been that way. I've always been someone who feels like you should come if you want to come and then that's it. But this is the one show I think in my entire career where I feel like people need to come see it. And it's not about me or my work. It's about the work and the passion and the heart that I see my students pouring into this piece is, is something that's really hard to put into words. As you can tell, I'm stumbling on myself quite a lot, but uh, that's why we're doing this podcast. And that's why I want to thank you guys for having me. Well, the, the album came out in 2003 and I was doing music radio at the time. And this, it was a huge album. It was a number one album. It had four major singles from it. It won two Grammys. These kids that are doing the show, this album is 18 years old. They were babies when it came out. Do they right. could they still remember? First of all, do they know the music? And two, do they remember growing up with it? Well, yeah, exactly. The, the, the students are saying, you know, my parents loved Green Day. My parents uh, played this album. I grew up with this album. And what the striking thing about this uh, is that Yes, 18 years ago, but how topical this is and how current these issues are. As we all know, depression, worry, anxiety, medication is just part of not just our, our I mean, it's part of our entire culture, whether you're a kid, uh, a young adult or an adult, th these are th issues that all of us are questioning. All of us, uh, you know, the country as, as it's no surprise that I mean, the country is divided right now. And this group of kids are, are trying to give the message out that everyone matters and that we need to have compassion and empathy for all of these situations. And so truth be told, 
they're coming into rehearsals, but when they go back to their apartments and they go back to their daily grind here at conservatory, but more importantly, when they go to Schnooks or they're, they're here in, in St. Louis, they are walking into these situations. They are experiencing these situations, in some cases firsthand, in some cases, friends or families, members of them or siblings who are struggling with these very issues. So to, to say that this strikes home and strikes a chord is, is, is uh, putting it lightly. This is their story. This is their time. This is their, like the last lines of the show, one at a time under this wonderful little rock vamp beat and the guitar, everything calms down. And it says, you know, one at a time they say, this is my rage. This is my life. This is my country, you know? And, and it's just, it's chilling to basically come down to the fact that this is who we are. This is what we, this is what we are. This is what we're trying to, to use the words in the previous podcast, trying to transcend or trying to get the country to transcend these issues. How can we help? How can the political machine become part of this generation that's crying for help for climate change and for addiction and all of these things that need attention? So that's why I'm getting on my soapbox, like I said earlier, for the first time really, to say, come see this show. It's important. It's important for the community to come see this show. Well, we're going to, we, we have some B roll that I'm going to post on the website Great. and I'll post in uh, this uh, other, you know, on social media, Great. because I was so impressed with the passion of these kids. And also they seem to be very caring of each other. And that's another uh, thing I took away from watching some of the clips was that they are uh, such a unit together yeah you know because they're not all doing their own thing they're well, they're really together yeah and 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 not to get too technical about it but there's a there's a, a way of doing theater out there called viewpoints it's a particular style and a particular method of viewpoints and i ended up using it a lot and basically the idea is i would say to everybody okay i want you to enter the space one at a time and don't even think about when and if you're going to go next just know and feel the room or i would say okay now we're going to build a, a group of people and just build yourself next to somebody or poke through somebody's legs or put your arm around somebody and so the the i, I love that you mentioned that lynn because the show is really built around uh, the care they have for one another and it comes through like you just mentioned in the staging in their in their I mean, conservatory is really like, uh, um, it's really like a four-year boot camp. I mean, they are in the trenches day in and day out with each other, you know, and they are, one day they fail, but then the next, and somebody is there to pull them up the ladder. And then the next day, they're the ones pulling their friend up the ladder. That's the way theater works. That's the way this kind of intense training works. It's all in, it's all in, all for one and one for all. And I, I do, I'm glad you mentioned that because I do feel like that's the other element. The story is one thing, but watching these kids care for one another and pull each other up uh, the ladder from one number to the next is, is really something people need to see. 
do you think because what we've gone through the past couple of years, uh, there is more of a sense of community? And I think people mention that. I know uh, just from the uh, the theater being back and I've been part of the I'm on the Arts for Life board and I'm also, you know, member of the St. Louis Theater Circle. So the speeches people have given are all about their theater family, the theater community, and how much it means. Because I do think people are pulling each other up. But I think theater, live theater is such a necessary, uh, uh, I don't know, the power of healing in the arts. But I think coming together and watching live theater and feeding off that energy is, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I'm glad you mentioned the last two years. It's been hard for everybody. And, you know, when you have this kind of a program, it's it's extra hard because, I mean, when it hit, we had to train on Zoom. And then we were we were really fortunate because we were able to come back that next fall and be in the space fully masked with very few cases. So we were still able to, to take dance class and be in the room. We couldn't we couldn't partner. We couldn't lift. We couldn't hug. We couldn't do any of that. So um, we, we listened to the students. All teachers were forced to listen to parents and students to say that you need to see me. I need to be seen. I need to be heard. And so we were getting a lot of great feedback from our, our marginalized students, from the community saying that things have to change. The institution and systemic problems uh, need to shift in theater. So we were doing a lot of that as well, the anti-racist ethos that we developed. So uh, when, when this show was presented by the students to say, this is the show we wanna do, right? So this, this decision came from them. The minute we got back this fall and we started auditions, it's like the sun came blazing out in this punk rock guitar electrifying sound that, that it was such a cathartic week of auditions. And then we started a, a rehearsal. We posted the cast list and we started rehearsals that next Monday. So these kids have been going full on conservatory and full on rehearsals for these seven weeks without stopping. Wow. But the energy that they gained with every day was, I've never seen anything like it. Instead of everyone getting tired, now we're tired, right? But they're using that in their in their daily walk and in their rehearsal and in their artistry. You know, those are the lessons that as a teacher is not on any syllabus, right? You, you have to surmount, you, you know, if you're gonna do this for a life and a career, you have to surmount the difficulties that it presents. And this show gave us such a, a massive foundation to come back and to come back <laughs> big with, like I, I, with this punk rock volatile scream of, I need to be seen, I need to be heard, I'm hurting, I need someone to help me figure this out. And, and to watch them do that live on the stage, it's a story, but it's their personal story. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not just a musical to them. This is their battle cry. And um, could not be more honored. I don't think I've ever been so honored to be part of a company as I am with American Idiot at Sargent Conservatory. Now, with a show like this, 
there there's a question live band or live tracks oh it's live band the the the, the rock band is upstage center they are they they it the concept is under the big tent so it's a rock opera circus is kind of how we've gone with this and there are platforms that make an inverted smile upstage and the what sits in that horseshoe is the rock band they are on the deck they are playing full out and um it's it's an experience that if you like green day music just forget about musical theater if you like green day music it's a concert. You're gonna you're gonna see a concert. The band is, it's not your typical musical theater band. Again, the artist that Nick Valdez, my wonderful colleague and musical director, chose for this. Fam- he is fabulous. He is fabulous, but he chose specifically people who do rock. A couple of our students are playing guitar and and bass. But here's the beautiful thing: then you have a cello and a string, and the, the orchestrations, they have these wonderful sort of Beatles-like moment where these strings and cellos come in in the midst of this music. It's just stunning work. Yeah. And it looks like a rock concert from what I saw because uh, the lighting is very oh, in tune with the music the- and the staging that you've done is very in tune with uh, with that, that hard rock edge. Yeah. And... Uh, I also like the video screen with all the TikTok and everything. So that's modernized because of the world we live in today. But yet it is a timeless story. It's not stuck in at the turn of the millennium. Well, and, you, just uh, mentioned- you know, that's very cool that you updated it like that. Well, and, and you know, the, the whole process for a director always starts with meetings with the designer to talk about concept. And so you just mentioned just two elements, Spencer on the projections, Grayson with the lights, but also it's, it's Megan on the wig and makeup. It is um, Tiana on the costumes. It's Annabelle with the props. It's Sammy, Katie, and Max, my, my incredible stage managers who pull us all together. It's Caitlin on sound. And man, as I keep telling her, I do not want that job because, you know, as we all know, sound <laughs> that's going to be, yeah, a lot of mics. job because yeah. if, if everything's going great, you don't notice the sound designer, but if things Good. go awry, it's like, oh, it's their fault. So this kid, Caitlin is a student is doing this massive rock concert and how she's able to do it. I still can't figure out. So, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other designers along the way. I know I am, but uh, or Lily, our set designer, duh, that, that was my first, where I started with Lily in, in set design. So all of these designers are designed by our students too. It's not just what, so it's the costumes, it's the lights, it's projection, it's the props, it's, it's the little paint treatment on the stage. And the best news of all is most of our crew are freshmen. So our freshmen Whoa. backstage who are working this are looking at this production going, man, I signed up for the right program because I can't believe what I'm seeing, you know, and hearing. So the whole, the whole community is just, I, I just, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life, or, or the song from, uh, from Pal Joey, you know, uh, uh, Lucky to Be Me. I feel like, you know, that, that's where I am in my life and my career with my, between my my children and my wonderful wife, Kristen, who teaches at Narex and, and my incredible 
chair, Gad, and my Dean Paul, and all of my faculty uh, and my students, I just uh, pinch me. I feel like I'm I'm really blessed to be here at the Sargent Conservatory of Theater Arts. Well, you are roaring back now. Uh, what are the dates and times? And is it in the it is in the brown uh, the the Loretta Hilton? Yeah, it's it's where a lot of our our, our you know we share this space with the Repertory Theater and with the Opera Theater St. Louis. It is the Loretta, Loretta Hilton Center. We open with a, a blazing opening tonight at seven o'clock seven thirty. And tickets are available. And um, you know, for if you're a student or a faculty or staff member here at Webster, they're free. For uh, other people, they are uh, for students, uh, just high school students and senior citizens. They are seven bucks. And for anyone else, it's fifteen dollars. Um, it's tonight at seven thirty. It's tomorrow, Saturday, the eighth, at two and seven thirty. And then we close on Sunday with a matinee at two o'clock. Be there. Yes. Wow. Two shows on Saturday. Those kids are baptism by fire. Oh, they got it. They could do four. <laughs> they have serious. a lot of energy. I was so, so impressed. Well, the uh, but I think it's so good that you have this mentoring program, because when I was a freshman in high school, Ray Forney was a senior. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was at the all girls school and he was at another school. And, but we all were in the same, you know, everybody did shows together and everybody yeah. did uh, speech and you were just so enamored of the older kids, how talented they were. And, and uh, you're watching them. And then now, you know, Whit Reichert and uh, Ray Forney, who were, who were my senior, you know, they're still doing, well, Ray's not doing shows, but you know, you know him from the Muni. I mean, yeah. they went on and, and as a little freshman, you're like, oh my God, these guys. Yeah, are and so I'm good. glad you mentioned the, the, the theater tradition here in St. Louis. That was part of my speech actually last night, my, my, my final speech. And I think it's a, this is a perfect segue to mention Peter Sargent. None of, none of us would be here. I would not have this job if it weren't for Peter Sargent. Uh, Peter started the conservatory 55 years ago, passed away on Thanksgiving Eve in 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And we all sort of joke like Peter's like, you guys got this, I'm out. <laughs> uh, but we renamed the, the Webster Conservatory of Theater Arts to the Sargent Conservatory of Theater Arts. And when you come into the lobby at the Loretto Hilton, there is a bust of Peter right next to a, a, a slideshow that always is on. It's always on. It never gets turned off. And Peter, every time I walk through the lobby, I see a different slide of Peter. He's always here with us. He's looking over us. And uh, he's just a, 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 was a very and still is a very integral part of the St. Louis theater scene, which is alive and well and thriving. Oh yeah, well he did the lighting at the rep for uh, the the uh, the gaslight uh, the yeah. play, which was the most incredible lighting I have ever seen in a show in St. Louis, and uh, he won this theater circle award. And I just remember that was my first experience seeing him. But the reverence people have for him 
is really remarkable when you hear about it. And then I, I have to mention, I interviewed Nathan Lee Graham for the Webster Kirkwood Times, which is in today's paper. So if you get a hard copy of the Webster Kirkwood Times today, there's my interview with Nathan Lee Graham because he is going to be Hermes in the national tour of Town. So Tuesday, he opens at the Fox and he is a Sergeant Conservatory graduate. Um, of course, and Nathan, we're, we're blocking out conservatory time when he comes just before fall break, we're just taking all conservatory time to bring Nathan in to talk with the students. He is a, nice. he's another force to be reckoned with. Oh, he is. He was the whiz in uh, the whiz Carl at the Muni oh, yes. uh, a couple of years ago. And he, uh, and oh, he's MC on in cabaret at the rep. Yeah. yeah. And he's on fire. So it'll, the article will be online on Monday. Great. But it is in today's hard copy. So anyway, he just went on and on and on and on about the conservatory. And he said the conservatory teaches us to be working actors. That's right. He said, we're not all famous, but we're working. Yep. And he went on about that. And then he also said, there's so many Webster graduates that are working. Yeah. And yeah, that's what true. you want. You want people to be employed yeah you we don't have, have to have, you know <laughs> yeah. so the, the the two most recent i mean we had our, our graduating class of 2022 right and uh, rebecca hartman is playing in in the ensemble of anastasia and seventh day on she's the cover for anastasia she's been on for anastasia and then most recently um uh we have uh, eric peterson uh, just booked uh Draco Malfoy in in um, Harry Cursed Potter Child. the Cursed Child on Broadway. So we've got to say that our students are out there working. Yeah, they're not all <laughs> getting that kind of, of of airplay that Rebecca and and um, uh, Eric have, but they are they're grinding it out. They're waiting for their opportunity. So it's proof in the pudding. I mean, we we trained them to get out there and get jobs, and we're very proud of that. Well, you can go to webster.edu slash conservatory to find out about the show. And if you don't, if you just think it's the hour long album of American Idiot, you will be in for a surprise. They play other songs post American Idiot in the show as well. And I will let you find out when you see them what songs they are, but they are really big hits. They are. And I should just mention to everybody because time is time is precious it's an hour and 30 minutes. There's no intermission. And it the train leaves the station. So 730 and it's done by a little after nine. So if that's helpful for people to go, oh, I'm not going to be in the theater till 1030. You need to know that. So I can fit it in tomorrow afternoon now. Fantastic. And I know that because I have to be <laughs> somewhere. I have to be somewhere at 430. Great. Okay. So well, there you go. I'm like, oh, I can fit it in. Well, hopefully I'll be there. So I'll see you. That is, that is so wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and best wishes to Elizabeth. I thank know you. I'm going to be following her because Beetlejuice is closing January. Beetlejuice is closing in January and Elizabeth already has other things that she's working on. Uh, I won't go, I can't go into details right now, but she's, she's definitely out there doing the thing and uh, we're very proud of her. 
Well, that's wonderful because I was in New York over the weekend and I just had Saturday night to go to a show and Beetlejuice had like two tickets way, 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 way (laughs) in the back. So I didn't go, although I'd love to see her as Lydia, but I went into the woods and I had eighth row. Oh, I'm jealous. From the tickets booth. And oh my God, because I thought, when am I going to see Patina Miller and Gavin Creel and Joshua Henry all together? All together. I know. <laughs> it was just so, so <laughs> wonderful. But anyway, I, the just best of luck. And also, I can't wait till the Variety Club comes back. Do you have any idea when that's going to happen? So, so interesting. You should mention that just before I clicked on to this podcast. I had a very, uh, very good news uh, Zoom meeting with Brian Roy and Robin Dow and um, my, my buddy Drew Humphrey about the next edition of the Variety Performing Arts. And um, we're hoping to mount a little small something uh, to get back on track in the spring. So people will be finding about, uh, out about that as, as soon as we have a space secured and date set, we're going to be... Uh, the, the variety performing arts will be back. Yeah. That is so wonderful. That's one of my favorite things to do. And I, I just tell everybody, if you want an emotional lift, you yeah. have got to go. And, oh, I still remember the beauty and the beast when that little chip stood up yeah. from the wheelchair and, uh-huh. oh my God. Well, so and, it's funny again, like you mentioned this, you know, and I told the cast, I was like, nothing has put a tattoo on my heart with the exception of Variety Theater. I said, until tonight, the Variety Theater has been the most profound theatrical experience of my life. Can't really be compared to anything I've ever done, but American Idiot sits right next to it now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is excellent. That's wonderful. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Uh, oh, we could talk to you all day. I about, know. I feel we the didn't same barely. Way. We didn't talk about your career at all. Well, we talked about okay. the kids. It, it, it's it's not it's not about me. It is about the kids, and I I cannot thank the two of you enough for having me on to talk about this very special project, special to me, special to our our uh, school, and special to the community. So come see American Idiot October seventh through October 9th here at the Loretta Hilton Center on the campus of Webster University, which is also the home of the Rep and Opera Theater St. Louis. I'll see you there. Excellent. Thank you. Break a leg. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Be a wonderful day. Yes. Thank you. Bye. It's a go card. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That, that was, was so great. Fun today. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that he is more excited about you know, the kids doing a great show, then, you know, he's had a very storied and long career in musical theater. Yes. And a Tony nomination. How many people can right. say that? Well, not, not a lot of people that are in St. Louis. No. And we've seen him so many times at the Muni. I cannot wait next month. We should know what's the 105th season. Right. So that'll be awesome. So there's a lot of theater going on this weekend. Uh, the- but Lynn, we, we have to do one thing before we get out of here. We have to mention how you talked me into not seeing Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. That is, is <laughs> that a- is the big that's the big movie with Christian Bale and a, an all star cast. And you said, don't waste my time. 
And so I didn't. I didn't go, even though my wife's like, how could it be horrible with that cast? Oh, well, Lynn, you... how could it be horrible with that cast? Because it's the story and the direction. It's terrible. It lands like a thud. You don't know what's going on. What is this about? You're going to struggle. It starts out kind of like a Wes Anderson, a, a screwball comedy. It reminded me a little bit of, of French Dispatch because I will say the performers are fine. John David Washington, who I have been very critical of in the past as a lead, he is terrific with Christian Bale and Margot Robbie as the three friends. He's really good in the ensemble. I think he's much more. And suited. David O. Russell is really good with ensembles. Yes, the spring, uh, you know, Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, Three Kings, and uh, The Fighter. Christian Bale's worked with him a lot. Mm -hmm. And Christian Bale, always superb. Uh, but it, it's Anya Taylor-Joy, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Taylor Swift, Chris Rock, and there are more and more. And this cat and... De Niro and Rami Malek. And I'm not even mentioning everybody. This is a huge, great cast. Is it just too much? It, it, uh, it, it yes, it has too <laughs> many subplots, but you, uh, it's about, okay. It's about fascism is bad. Okay. Well, so didn't we know we that already. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's also two hours and 15 minutes. Right, which it's very sluggish. The tone is all over the place. It's very sluggish. Uh, the cast is all in. They try uh, particularly funny are Mike Myers and Michael Shannon as spies who love birds. Okay. It's very eccentric characters. Like Margot Robbie is a artist who, who makes things out of the shrapnel that she gets out of soldiers in World War I. Okay. Okay. So they are in World War One, where we start. Uh, John uh, John David Washington and Christian Bale. Christian Bale loses an eye. That's part of the story. His glass eye, and then we go into this like friendship. You know, like uh, if you're, you know, like Cole Porter friendship, friendship, and mm -hmm. then we go into a murder mystery that involves Taylor Swift, who's only in the beginning. Just FYI, Taylor Swift fans. Then it becomes a convoluted mess. The murder mystery. <laughs> okay. It involves spies and government operatives, and apparently in 1933 during the FDR presidency there was a thing known as the business plot uh very wealthy wall street guys uh hooked up uh trying to uh get fdr out to install a dictator does that sound familiar uh so i don't know uh, what you're talking about yeah <laughs> So it's about Mussolini and Hitler, their rise of fascism and their supporters. And so uh, David O. Russell is trying to make a comparison to today. But at the end, so the end is pretty good. De Niro is actually very good in this movie. He is a general, a, a 
and he's involved in uh, trying to thwart fascism. Always and, a good thing to do. Yes. And obviously that's noble trying to, you know, trying to prevent fascism. But we have all, how they're all connected and crisscrossed and all coming in together. And you're just going, what is going on? Why was this movie made? But midway, you're just like, oh, dear God, uh, how much <laughs> longer do we have? And then and then it kind of it's very sluggish and then it kind of perks up at the end. But by the end, you're like, thank you, God, if you make it to the end. And then they have. Yeah, they have this shooting scene that's not really a shooting scene. Well, I'm glad you talked me out of going. Even yeah, though I, I might have enjoyed some of it. Yeah, well, some Dude, of it say, say something positive, Lynn. Well, some of it's OK. Oh, you know what's good? <laughs> The set design, the production design, but the cinematography is by Emmanuel Lubezki, who are Lubezki, who uh, won three Oscars. He works with uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Ah. He won an Oscar for Gravity, for okay. the Revel- uh, for the Revenant, and for Birdman. Oh wow. So the cinematography is beautiful, how we lit it and it's Europe and it's old, old, you know, very vintage looking stuff It's beautiful. So the cinematography is fantastic and the costumes and makeup and wigs. Superb. I they could get Oscar nominations from all that. And the acting is really fine. There's no weak link here. It's just the story. Yes. It's just David O. Russell hasn't made a movie since 2015 Joy, which a lot of people thought was a misfire. It was a misfire. And I can't believe she got nominated for that. Yeah, I know. It should never have gotten even that far. And so I don't know what the deal is with him, but, you know, um, Alex wouldn't go see it because of the director. So he's taken some hits about abusive behavior on sets and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I had to look that up because, you know, this cancel culture is so damn fast that you you might miss something. Because, like, did you see, uh, um, I'm digressing, but did you see SNL Saturday night with that skit? I did. Uh, what's that? with adam levine and army hammer yes <laughs> i knew i knew you would get a kick out of that one yes so so it so, is uh, what i what i've heard is the best movie to see this weekend the best movie that is out this weekend is lyle lyle crocodile yes i enjoyed it way more than i thought i would well i went because i did not read this book to my children that's okay. one of them i didn't read i i don't know why but Sean Mendez, I like him as a pop mm-hmm. singer. He's very pleasant. He's very uh, pleasant to hear as Lyle. Um, I went because Pasek and Paul did the score and they did Greatest Showman, the number one selling album of 2018. Yes. So I thought, how bad could this be? The biggest surprise, Javier Bardem. Javier. In a children's movie. <laughs> yeah. Javier is having the time of his life. He is having a blast. He and Penelope Cruz have small children. Well, I think their children aren't so small anymore, but he said he read the books to them. 
Well, uh, it's it's written it's directed by Will Speck and Josh Gordon, and they have done they they're a team, and they're yeah. They are an uh, award-winning commercial team. They were responsible. Well, they for have an the, Academy Award nomination. Yeah, they were re- responsible for the Geico Gecko. Yeah. So crocodile gecko, the little crocodile. When Javier Bardem, he plays this kind of borderline showbiz guy, very jazz hands. Um, Hector P. Valenti. He finds a uh, singing Lyle in the an in a animal shop, a questionable animal shop, uh-huh. and he looks. He's so cute, but then he grows to that giant thing. So it's a combo hybrid. Um, animation real life kind of like the tom and jerry and it's pleasant it's a very you know it's a familiar family story kid doesn't fit in parents move to new york kid doesn't fit in parents you know all that kind of stuff so the story's just your basic one and i think it's hard when children's books of a fantasy nature are translated to screen because you are seeing this giant crocodile roam the city of New York and uh but not try to eat everyone yeah so it's it's clever and they're dancing on Broadway rooftops and everything so well, it's you, a it's a kids movie right you got to suspend belief but i think this is going to be a big hit with the middle school crowd especially girls preteen girls and want to um, hear some uh, Sean Mendes. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly fine for kids. I'm not sure about the younger kids because there are some scary elements. Okay. With the real crocodiles in the zoo. Oh, okay. But, you know, hey, that's crocodiles in the zoo. It's your, uh, you know, families living with a reptile. So, yeah. you know, but I, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised and glad I saw it because of the movies this week and uh we have the good house is still in theaters it is uh uh, for people of a certain age like me Uh and um it has not just one local person in it but two because kevin klein is in it this is his third collaboration with sigourney weaver Mm -hmm. they were in dave that wonderful 1990 fantastic movie. movie oh yeah and then they were in the much heavier depressing the ice storm in 1997 and now they play uh people that kind of hooked up in high school and now in their old age they're looking at each other again but that is it's based on a book yes and it's by ann leary wife of dennis leary oh so does it take place in boston then it takes place in New England. Uh-huh. It's a little New England village, and it's a quirky one. Not as quirky as Stars Hollow in Gilmore Girls, but it's quirky. Mm-hmm. And David Rashi of Belleville, actually Milstadt, who went to Belleville West, he plays her ex-husband who left her for a guy. Huh. I loved so, him on Sledgehammer. Yes, that's what everybody always remembers. Now, he's in succession. He's one of the suits that works for the Roy family. Yeah, but, you keep um, telling me about succession, and I will watch it. But he you know, he was also on Veep, and he was on the West Wing, too. 
yeah, he's he's made a career as a character actor. So here he is again. But so we have to, two local people, Kevin Klein and David Rashi in it. And also it is different than you think it is. You think it's going to be just this middle-aged romance. But I guess now we're not middle-aged. I guess we're seniors. Uh-huh. I guess or senior romance. But I'm middle-aged. You are a senior. Yes. But it's more than that. I How about I say boomers? Okay. Yeah. Boomer romance in later okay, life. Boomer. And it's about, you know, people learning a lot through their life. You know, one of those, the hard road. We've traveled the hard road. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that because Sigourney has a uh, a red wine problem. And uh, she has been. <laughs> That's re- not a problem. That's well, just a situation. She has uh, uh, her family, her two daughters and her ex-husband inter- did an intervention. So she went to rehab, oh, wow. but she's seen drinking uh, for every single occasion. Like, oh, I did this. I'm opening a bottle. Of so red. hold on a second. It's 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 a it's midway between Dave and the ice storm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it like that, because uh, she finally realizes I need to go back to rehab. Oh, so, yeah, so it's about all these things that happen in the town. And so it's not just the romance. I, that's what surprised me the most was this isn't just that romance. You know how some people, some films are marketed. Mm-hmm. It's not entirely. Well done. Yeah, no. So I guess we're going to be watching the playoffs or recording the playoffs. And then what else are we doing this weekend, Carl? I'm going to be at Casey's stories from the window tonight at river city casino. But by the time everyone hears this, it will be too late unless we get this up right away. And then uh, tomorrow I have a blues hockey game. And then Sunday we are preparing for my wife's grandfather's honor flight, which is going to take place in November. So very cool. It should I've, be I've fun. Covered, yes. I've covered those honor flights. Very, very, very cool. Well, I am seeing private lives at the rep tonight, but I'm so glad Lara Teeter informed me that that uh, Green Day musical was at the uh, Loretta uh, Hilton matinee because because now I remember I have to go to Coca to see private lives. So he prevented me from going to Webster and I will now go to (laughs) city. Yes. So thank you, God, for that. And then because the rep now does some stuff at Coca. And some stuff at Loretto. All right. You can find me, Lynn, at underscore Carl, the intern, where I'm tweeting and Instagramming. Oh, Instagram. Every time you do a video on Instagram now, first of all, it has to be vertical instead of horizontal. They make everything vertical and it automatically becomes a reels. Not a fan of that Instagram. But you can see me. I'll do it one tomorrow. uh, Testing the horn. And you can hear me Monday through Friday on the Mark Cox Morning Show on 97.1 FM Talk. And then Sundays on KMOX, Second Amendment Radio, and The Great Outdoors. Where are you, Lynn? I am on all the socials. I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times. Today, I have the interview with Nathan Lee Graham. I have uh, reviews of Amsterdam and also of uh, Lyle Lyle Crocodile. I am on KTRS radio every Thursday with Ray Hartman after the 10 p.m. news. And I have the website poplifestl.com. We have a feature called Popster Picks that we tell you what's happening in entertainment. I will mention quick two things this weekend. The Belleville Chili Cook-Off. 
always fun. The Vietnam vets have a Da Nang chili that's pretty kicking. And uh, the Haunted Garage Horror Fest. Ah, Frankie. Yes, Frankie, our friend that we had last week. And uh, Fresh Hell, the Best of Fest from last year from I, from Ryan Emhoff is going to be shown. Now, if you miss it, it is available video on demand. And I'm going to be writing more about that on the website. So stay tuned. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Carl. Go Cards and go see a play. Yes. Bye.